Right. And I think the, I think her leaving for, forced the show to really be like, okay, like, whoa, what is this about? Like, really, like, what is this show really, really about? And they, I think they came up with an answer. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for Gen X and Millennials who are currently binge-watching old favorites. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what was just a little bit problematic about our old faves. Though not necessarily in that order. Today's episode is part two of our recap and breakdown of The Vampire Diaries. Today, we're diving deep into seasons five through eight of the hit series. And asking ourselves why folks just can't seem to stay away from Mystic Balls. TVD turned bad tropes and bad writing into a loyal fandom. But how? Well, that's what we plan to find out. (laughs) And if you thought seasons one through four of the show were messy, then girl, strap in. We are in for a hell of a ride, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Like, okay, so we we were in agreement that this show, like, so one awesome. of the reasons it's so successful is because A, it just packs in two or even three seasons worth of drama into every single season. Yeah, like, there are three sort of, like, there, I think there are, like, three sort of separate, like, really like intricate plot intricate plots that happen each season that Mm -hmm. one one plot could sustain an entire season but why do that when you can put in three right so every season of vampire diaries is broken into chapters um each season has three sometimes they have even four chapters um season five is one of those that has four chapters so we have like four sets of protagonist of antagonists our first antagonists are silas and kitsia um aka tessa then um chapter two protagonist antagonists are wes maxfield and enzo um then chapter three antagonists are catherine nadia wes enzo and damon (laughs) and then chapter four antagonists are marcos and the travelers 
It's a clusterfuck of people, <laughs> places, and things, you guys. It was really interesting. It was great to like rewatch this season five because when I tell you, I had completely forgotten about the travelers. I completely Me forgot too. That, that was a whole like, thing. Season oh, wait, wait, five, what? And season six really slipped away from me. I didn't Flipped. know. I like. I completely forgot. <laughs> So season four ended with Bonnie dying on graduation day and now only being able to communicate with Jeremy, who's able to see ghosts from that time she brought him back to life. And she's using Jeremy basically as a literal medium to send um, emails to Caroline and Elena. And Caroline and Elena are moving into their dorm at Whitmore College. It's freshman year of college. Yay. Like, that's one thing they did right. Thank you for putting them in college. They couldn't say Mystic Falls High forever. Elena became unsired to Damon and chose to be with him over Stefan at the end of season four. And this was also when Stefan found out that just like Elena was a shadow Elena and Catherine were shadows of Amara. He is Silas's shadow self. And the season ends with actually Silas overwhelming him, swapping places with him, and then dumping his body, which is like tied into like a trunk, into like a a waterfall, a deep body of water somewhere. And like literally no one knows that Stefan is gone. It's Yeah, it's a safe. And I would like to particularly pay attention to this storyline. Stefan being locked in the safe. Uh, and then dumped into the body of water because it is a direct lift from Angel season three. <laughs> like the exact it same, it, the exact same plot. Like you guys, I wish I was making this up. It's not like Angel. Se- I think it's at, at the end of Angel season three. Angel is also locked and is safe and then dumped into the ocean. I want to say, and nobody knows where Angel is. Mm-hmm. You guys, when we tell you, like, right. this show does not stop stealing from, like, Buffy or yeah, and, Buffy and, Angel, and Angel, respectively. So the what makes this a little bit different is the fact that they added the fact that um, Stefan is Silas's shadow self, which means that Silas looks exactly like Stefan. And so he literally swaps places with Stefan and is basically gallivanting around. And Stefan is missing, quote unquote, but... Other people who are not part of the main cast have seen him or really have seen Silas around and about. Elena and Damon have been booed up all summer long. Like, you know, they're just having the time of their life. And like, Elena's mildly worried about Stefan, but she doesn't want to say it to Damon because she doesn't want to make it seem like she still has feelings for him because she's holding this thing in. Catherine is adjusting to humanity after Elena literally forced the cure down her throat at the end of season four. And um, Rebecca, because she's nicer than all of his actual friends, took Matt on a summer-long European vacation where they have been eating and fucking their way through their mm. motherland. God bless them. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> yeah, they're having kids. The, have the time of their life. Like, 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 for once, he didn't have to worry about bills. And I rent. know part of part of me was like con- kind of upset because. Con- Either the season four finale or um, the opener of season five, where they show, um, once again, like, Rebecca's hooking up with, like, this girl, and, like, Matt's there, and, like, they're all, like, in their threesome goodness. And I'm, I'm annoyed, once again, that, like, women or, like, women having sex with each other are, like, once again being used for the male gaze. But at the same time, I'm like, Matt deserves this. <laughs> Yes, me too. I was like, you know what? 
everybody's been hooking up. Everybody's been getting late. Everybody's been living their best supernatural life. Let him get this moment, please. Like, like Matt can have this moment. Like it's I'm still not okay with it, but Matt can have this moment because he's really anyone, been through some stuff. If anyone deserves this moment, it's Matthew, you guys. I'm using his full name. It's Matthew Donovan. <laughs> he needs this. He needs it. So, um, they returned from Mystic Falls, um, Matt and Rebecca. They returned um, from Europe for this from their summer vacation um where they the woman that they met nadia who you think is like this passing character just like random beautiful girl that they had a threesome with is actually a very dangerous um opposition as we later find out she actually follows them back to mystic Falls. she's been on their tail the entire time and what they thought was a chance encounter in europe was actually her inserting herself into their presence because she wanted something from them we later find out that this nadia person is both a traveler which is supposed to be like the romani better known as right like but like she's not just romani she is also a vampire and she is also the daughter that Catherine was forced to give up at birth right so something that they do in this season is that they sort of code I, the show sort of codes like the travelers as like romani and oh but once again the racism persists because then they're like the antagonist but then they're like against the vampires which is like the biggest thing you can do on the show to like right. code that you're evil. And, you know, I'm glad, but you know, I'm glad that there's a consistency, you know, you can count on TBD to be weird and racist and awkward. Right. And here's the thing. When she says racist, like we're using that loosely, loosely because the Romani are all in fact white, white. but <laughs> anyone who is familiar with the history of the actual Romani, the AKA the travelers understands that they are like the, the black people of white people they have and continue to be the most persecuted group of of white people calls for um cultural assimilation aka ethnic cleansing and assimilation into the dominant culture like they are heavily persecuted group and they are small minority living within europe and pretty much living on the outskirts of the culture of wherever they happen to be because they're nomadic right Right, they're nomadic. And this is something that, you know, stopped being quote unquote civilized to other white cultures and ethnic groups a long time ago. Um, it's just awkward. It's just another awkward, discriminatory, right. like ethnic thing that the show does. That's all. It's very, very, very awkward. And what makes it even more awkward is that it actually doesn't fall in line with the Catherine storyline at all. So let's backtrack to Catherine's storyline. Catherine was a teen mom. She got pregnant. She had her child. And then her father took her child from her and and gave her child away because he didn't want the stain, the stigma of his daughter having a child out of wedlock to come upon their family. Now, here's what I do know about the Romani, the real travelers. That is not an issue in their community. First of all, people marry young. And I don't mean like marrying off little girls to grown men. I mean, the girls and the boys get married off young, as young as 14 years old. They are heavy believers in a couple growing old together. 
like literally growing old together. And there are many cases of girls 13, 14, 15 years old having children, whether they're married or not, in that community. When I originally saw Catherine's storyline, I assumed, as I sh- as I was right to assume, that she was, you know, Catholic or Russian Orthodox because they are the sort of community that would see it as like a bad thing that a teenage girl had a baby out of wedlock. Like the travelers are not going to like excommunicate you or like, you know, um, make you a pariah over that. So like having her daughter be a traveler and saying that she came from a line of travelers and inserting that storyline literally made no sense. Also shout out to Nathan from Insecure who shows up uh, this season in the sort of um, Augustine, AKA the initiative (laughs) plot. Oh my God. Right. So I saw him here before I saw him on Insecure. And then when I saw him on Insecure, I was like, praise Jesus, Black people hired him. (laughs) (laughs) Black people finally hired him because he needed a win. Like every other Black character on this show, he got killed off with a quickness, but not before some prolonged torture. Right. And although he had multiple episodes, I would say that Nathan is probably the longest running Black person on this show besides Bonnie. Like, <laughs> no, I think, no, I think he tied with Luca. They gave him maybe three or four episodes and then nipped it in the butt. <laughs> and then they, um, and then poor, uh, people of color, Death Watch TBD, um, <laughs> poor, their roommate, Again, and she was actually played by the singer Haley Kiyoko. Oh, okay. Look at that. Yeah, and she got killed off with a quickness. Got killed off with a quickness. I don't think she even lasted as long as the Black people. She died like two episodes in. She died two episodes. I think either that one episode or two episodes in, she was gone. They're like, I was like, I'm just, I'm just curious. Are you guys serious? (laughs) One thing that I will, you know, commend. TBD for in this back half of the series is that they move on from killing just black people to killing black and Asian people. So like, you know what? There we go. Progress. Travelers were like, were like falling like dominoes too. So they were killing like, like large groups of white people indiscriminately as well. (laughs) Discriminately as well. So you know what? I just want to really commend y'all for that. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this season was a lot. So because um, the travelers followed Matt and Rebecca back. He is like confronted with a traveler named Marcos, but he forgets having this confrontation because uh, Marcos puts another traveler in his head, someone who can basically assume possession of his body at any time. As a result, Matt starts having blackouts. The things that the moments that he blacks out on are when the moments where this traveler is in possession of his body. Stefan. Um, manages to come back after very late in the game, Damon realizes something is wrong with him. And like Catherine and Elena start having visions about him, but he is found actually by the police first, I believe. And the only, his memories are askew and the only person he trusts is Caroline. I thought this was a really great way of like moving their friendship forward because Caroline and Stefan have been cool for a really long time. Last season, when he defended her against Tyler, who was justifiably upset that Caroline had slept with a man who murdered his mom, like Stefan took up for her. And in this season, it's kind of her 
her turn to like, like, you know, stand by Stefan's side. And so their friendship is kind of forged when Stefan comes back to himself. She's the only person that he really trusts at the time. Right. Not that, um, not that Silas was actually doing a good job of hiding the fact that he was, he was Silas. Like he wasn't even really trying to pretend to be Stefan. Like, and every time someone would figure it out instantly, he'd be like, ah, you got me. I'm not Stefan. (laughs) Fuck Stefan. I want to, I want to address about this Ketsia plot really quickly is that I'm very concerned about these women of color who are, like, losing their minds over, like, these white men. I just, I'm very concerned. But it's a very obvious she's a woman of color lusting after this man. And, like, he chose her handmaiden. And thousands of years later, um, she's still not over that shit. And this is a theme that will continue when we, and we'll get to this again when we talk about the originals. <laughs> very, yeah. Oh, God, Yes. And I'm just like, I don't know, I just, I'm annoyed because I'm just like, hun, like, I just don't feel like that's real. May, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe. I, I, I think her initial reaction was valid because she was deeply in love with this man, right? And she had the power to punish him and her handmaiden for the, their betrayal. So she did. But the idea that she would just keep on with this revenge quest thousands of years later, like she had nothing better to do. And like, he was like the ultimate catch sis really um him <laughs> like no no shade to paul wesley but like and then like the silas character says in one scene he's like she fell for this face once we can make her fall for it again and like it's you're like, not that cute like don't you're not you're not you're not um so it's very it's all very complicated and very like touchy so then in season five we learned something very significant though and i i did like this thing we learned that um elena and stefan were not meant to be Catherine and stefan were not meant to be they were not star-crossed lovers they were people that were literally being pushed together by a revenge spell okay so um that's why shadows of themselves kept reappearing in every lifetime and they kept feeling so drawn to each other by choosing damon elena actually breaks the cycle of amara's doubles always ending up with silas's doubles right so i guess in that like oh they're like the true love story or something equally ridiculous right it's it's not even that it's 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 i feel like for once for once they finally given elena agency things are not happening to her she actually made the choice to be with damon and not who like this spell ordained her to be with because if she was still with stefan and then we found this out like it honestly I, i wouldn't have been as receptive to it so i'm like she's not in love with him she's just like she just thinks she's in love with him you know, it takes these people like so in season five, it takes everyone like four episodes to realize like Bonnie's dead, <laughs> like an entire summer and like, I guess, four episodes in which they should have known something was wrong with. Like, why haven't we seen her? Why haven't we heard her voice? She can't pick up a phone when she's traveling with her dad. Dad, that's exactly that doesn't make any her house. They would have seen like her dad was like literally at her house. <laughs> right. Like no one actually goes. her dad wasn't anywhere like like he was all around because her dad's the mayor now you guys he's the mayor now he's everywhere around town he didn't go anywhere this summer exactly they would have seen oh well 
Yeah. So this summer is actually, this season is actually the um, season where Caroline confessed to sleeping with Klaus, like kind of goaded into it. Um, And we'll talk about that later by someone who she thinks is Elena and Tyler's enraged and Stefan like kind of steps in and saves her. And their friendship is kind of like set in stone at this point. Like they know they have each other's back and I wish that they had kind of kept Caroline and Stefan friends because they are the only people I feel on the show had a real genuine friendship without any ulterior motives or like extra shit attached to it. But of course it's TVD and the white girl can't be single for long. So they made them love interests. I think we'll really, I don't think there's any way to really sort of get all of the plots <laughs> that are happening like into this podcast. Cause we would be here forever. But um, if you want to do that, just watch this season. Honestly, I don't really feel, I I don't think, it's hard sort of picking episodes to watch in these back halves, because I think you, I don't think they're value, I don't think they're worth watching. (laughs) Um, I don't mean to be mean, but I don't think Yeah, like there were like, I feel like there were like glimmers of hope where the writing wasn't just a means of like distracting the audience from the poor character development, but like might be something of substance and they drop the ball every time. Every time, essentially, because even once you get to these back halves, it just becomes, it's not even like it's retreads of earlier concepts, but shifted just enough to bring new light to a situation. They're just completely repeating. It's like how many times is Stefan or Damon or Caroline or whoever going to like turn off their humanity how many times or how many times is Bonnie going to (laughs) die like how many times is Jeremy Mm going to be sad like who cares you've it's like we I've seen this thank you very much actually Bonnie is revived this season though like I really was afraid they were going to keep her character on as a ghost on some bullshit but she um comes back to life with the caveat of now being the other side so Amara was punished by Ketsia to be the other side um as punishment for like hooking up with, with Silas and so when Amara was finally given peace at last Bonnie became the other side she is basically the vessel through which all um newly deceased supernaturals must pass so like to get to like you know like peace or whatever and so she becomes that thing now Bonnie and Jeremy have been a thing since I want to say season two of Vampire Diaries right but we've never gotten a sex scene. We've, they've never even implied that the two of them are having sex until season five. And then we get a sex scene with Bonnie and Jeremy in like the worst possible way. She and Jeremy are kissing. She's looking cute wearing her silk nighty. His shirt is off. And Stephen McQueen, who plays Jeremy, has a Shout serious glow up every single Every single season, he got a glow up, you guys. Shout out to his body. <laughs> like, like shout out to you, sir. Woo! Yeah, he was, on, he was on his, like, beach body shit. And then the two of them are making out. And somebody just died. I forget who. And they need to pass through Bonnie. And they go through her. And she has this intense physical pain. Torture. And then Jeremy's like, are you all right? Are you okay? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine. Let's do this. And then, like, cut scene. Right. <laughs> it's awkward. It's unfortunate. It's so awkward, and it's, you guys. And, in a sh- and on its face, that might seem like, why are you guys hung up on that? But in a show that very much 
roots all of its tension and all of its character development in romantic relationships, it's it's significant, right? Um, like if the show was about more romance, wasn't so central to the show, then fine, whatever. But that's not the case. Like romance is a vital part of the show. Like who characters are in relationships is sort of um, the most anyone has ever developed. So if you're not in a relationship or if you're a character that's like not in a romantic relationship or your romantic relationship isn't focused on a lot in the show, it's definitely a signifier that you don't matter or that your character doesn't matter. Right. And we can use the argument that Bonnie and Jeremy's relationship doesn't have as much focus because simply because it's not as toxic as the other relationships. They actually have the least toxic relationship on the show. Because what you're telling me is Bonnie can only be the focus when her life or somebody else's life is in danger. We Bonnie shouldn't get like the privilege of being able to enjoy pleasure. Right. Or in that like she's only she only matters like if she's in pain or like if she's about to die or something right, or someone else. else is about to die then die. we need a bonnie so right. the season was interesting because it brought in like a new supporting character named enzo enzo we learn um back in the 50s was damon's best friend during a time when they were incarcerated together so the whitmore society in the initiative aka right 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 this is obviously this is obviously lifting from the initiative in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampire Slayer. Right. Um, AKA, uh, what is it? The Augustine, St. Augustine or something? Right. Um, the Augustine, the Augustine Society is kind of like, um, it's very similar to the group of founding um, families in Mystic Falls that like are on Vampire Alert or Vampire Neighborhood Watch, except they actually um, take vampires and test on them. And um, during this time, Enzo fell in love with a woman that was working there who was black. And this becomes a theme for him. Like, he only likes older women and black women, apparently. Um, (laughs) um, And while he and Damon were incarcerated there for like a decade. No, Damon was there for a decade. Enzo was actually there longer. They became best friends. And one Christmas when they were pretty much put on display like zoo animals, they took an opportunity to escape, but only Damon could escape. And unfortunately, he had to leave Enzo behind. And we find out that Enzo's still been there this entire time. So it's been literal decades where he's been a hostage to these people. And he escapes and is, you know, rightly unhinged because he's been in pretty much solitary isolation and torture for decades. But even he like gets his shit together relatively quickly and proves to be a better person than Damon and Stefan. Right. Enzo is sort of like a Damon point too, initially um, when he's introduced. And this is what I think we're saying when it, when we talk about the show never moves, the show never develops, these characters never develop because I think in these back halves, what you really start to see is that you start to see 2.0 characters of characters that are already on the show. I think that Damon, Enzo, and later Damon's mother's boyfriend, Julian, are all sort of the same type of character and same type of antagonist. And they all serve the, and they all serve the same type of uh, purpose to the story. Um, I agree. I, I think you have... Stefan, and then you have Silas, and then you later, um, gosh, 
Ugh. I want to say, I forget, but they're also serving the same purpose. Like, n- there's no... Well, um, Elijah is also a Stefan-type character as well. Right. Does Elijah come back in the back half? Oh, he does. They do. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, even in the front half, they were trying to do this. Like, how do we make Stefan and Damon more likable? We, we, we give reflections of them in our antagonists and therefore get people to see them as more of a protagonist. Um, Klaus was like the first mini Damon who then became worse than Damon. So then we could, we could root for Damon safely. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely correct. I, I agree with that. So yeah, the show absolutely doesn't actually fix its characters or show their evolution. It just gives us worse people worse that we can. People. That's that true. Can... <laughs> so then now we can we can root for like the shitty, um, pro- the shitty person that we were first introduced to as a protagonist. I'm glad that they allowed Enzo's character to evolve. I would say after Tyler. Enzo is a character that is given the most growth and he's given that growth very, very quickly. Cause again, Enzo doesn't come in until season five and he stays until like the end of the series. But, um, he is a character that didn't have as much time to develop as Tyler, but still managed to develop. And actually in Tyler and Enzo, it actually makes a lot of our main cast look worse because they've been through worse shit or they've been able to, um, learn self-control and accountability and our, protagonists have not right and i guess in season five real quick uh season five is where tyler and caroline break up for real for real Mm -hmm. for the final sort of time that's just a little highlight and elena and damon break up for fake for fake (laughs) for fake for fake (laughs) yeah it's not even real you guys like they break up and immediately have breakup sex and then get back together like one or two episodes down the line. So season season two, season five, excuse me, all I got out of it was that they were doing entirely too much. We didn't even talk about Liv and Luke, right? I know. We, we don't we, we haven't even gotten there. We can jump into that in season six. So six. Season so, six is a lot as a well. Lot. So uh, season five ends with like essentially the disintegration of the other side, the other side goes away because the travelers are successful in their whatever. Because the other side goes away, Damon and Bonnie get thrown into an alternate reality, a sort of like prison world, a prison world um, where they must fend for themselves mm-hmm. where the, and where the same day in 1994 keeps keeps repeating. Right. So really quickly, I want to say that some of the best acting that Nina Dobrev did on that show, like as Elena, because I really liked her her acting as Catherine. But some of the best acting she did as Elena was actually in the last episode of season five, when Damon's about to be thrown into what they think is the other side, but is really like Alex said, a prison world. And she is crying, begging not to lose this man. And I'm like, I feel it's this. Like, even if you're not here for their relationship, the the pain that she is emoting is very, very real. So I had to g- give my hats off to her for that episode. That was literally, like, the only truly memorable episode of the season for me, and that was why. Right. I think um, the most memorable, I guess, I don't even want to say episodes, because I don't... The episodes, to me, weren't memorable. What's memorable are certain moments, but I think season five, the moment that's the most memorable to me was this final, oh God, um, this final, the final plots with Catherine 
uh, Catherine sort of uh, comforting Nadia, Nadia, who we find out is like her daughter um, and really going, I think, to the bat for her. And then also Catherine for just being Catherine and going out Mm -hmm. like a real G. (laughs) Right. I love Catherine um, and Nadia's relationship because I felt like even though it was a little too late, they were actually trying to humanize her character to their audience. Now I'd always like been team Catherine, but it was very clear. They did not want to portray her as someone to be liked until that very last scene where we see her with her daughter. Um, Now, and the thing about Catherine too, is it wasn't her intention to not raise her kid. Her father literally took her child away from her. And honestly, it turned out to be for the best because as you remember, Klaus, when she ran away from him and wouldn't allow herself to be used as a sacrifice, went to her home and butchered her entire family. Nadia only survived because her father had, had sent her away to live with another family. Right. Season six, we pick up with you know Damon and Bonnie are gone and yeah it's really sad so Elena's spiral is like I said and I said this too when Jeremy had died um you know temporarily on a a, one of the other other seasons when Elena grieves it is very real and it is very valid like first she was grieving for her brother her only family left in the world and then she was grieving for Damon the love of her life however because no one else is allowed to grieve like we didn't get to properly grieve Bonnie's grandmother we didn't get to properly grieve Matt's sister we didn't get to properly grieve Tyler's mother because no one else is allowed to grieve when she does it it's it seems very indulgent (laughs) it does it's all very indulgent Like, and I'm just like, okay, Elena, we get it. It's always going to be about you and your feelings. (laughs) Right. And it's particularly egregious because Elena, you know, is grieving, but then she sort of has the gall to be like, Jeremy, like she yells at Jeremy and like, is like, Jeremy, you better pull it together. And it's, you know, in Jeremy's grief is sort of treated as like, oh, whatever. But he's, he's grieving too. He's, he's upset about losing Bonnie. I think that one of the things that Elena does very passively and actively in what Alex just said is treat her grief as priority at all times. Um, when Bonnie lost her grandmother, she was very dismissive of it. And her, and Stefan was too. And like Damon, who was still, you know, in antagonist territory at that time, was the only one who really saw like how important it was that bonnie was grieving her grandmother she does this again every time she's grieving it's like fuck everybody's feelings like i'm just gonna do me and wallow first she turned off her emotions when her brother died and like alex just said now she's kind of like become like this drug fiend so that she can get glimpses of her boyfriend it comes to a head when she finally goes to alaric to get his help to forget Damon. Gets Alaric to compel her and all her memories of Damon. Well, not all of her memories of Damon, but all the, I think, all the things that make her in love with him. She gets those to go away because she still remembers um, him. She just remembers Damon as Stefan's brother who is a psycho killer. And everybody like is very wary about how she's dealing with it, but because they don't have any better suggestions, they just go along with it. Season four, season six, excuse me, also has four, you know, groups of antagonists in four chapters. Our first antagonists are Trip Cook and Kai Parker. 
Kai being the older brother to Liv and Luke, the witches that made their appearance in season five. Then our antagonist is just Kai. Then our antagonists are Caroline, Stefan, Lillian, Salvatore. And then it's just Kai again. And it's, you guys. It's a lot. It's so much. If the show is, it's deeply exhausting. Can yes. understand? I can understand why they, how even with the bad writing, audiences stay tuned week after week. But I don't understand how they stay tuned season after season. Every season feels like, like it's not. It's not a marathon, you guys. It's a sprint. You are it sprinting is a sprint. for that. And I, <laughs> and we talked about this briefly. And I think the and the reason why it works and the reason why this show could not work today is because of just the mode of which it was it was aired because the vampire diaries is in a weird moment it was when i think streaming and like that sort of the deal between netflix and cw i think was just implemented so you have this so you have the show airing live on the cw from week to week and then two weeks after like two weeks or like a month after that season um the season finale uh you have the whole season then jumping onto like netflix streaming being available so i think you all this plot and all the packing in a in a of this plot is when like ben is when binge watching was still like a wasn't like a regular thing yet the reason why you can have all of this is because I think the writers are still thinking like, okay, week to week to week. And they're not necessarily thinking about, okay, someone's probably going to watch episode. Someone's going to like get this season and maybe they'll watch episodes one through like five in one sitting. And then they're going to watch five through whatever in another. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, this shows very much like a remnant of that. It's, that, and that's actually what makes TVD like a cool show to think about. Um, not <laughs> like we said, because of the writing or anything, but to think about just the moment it was in. Cause TBD is like a lot like scandal and that it comes in, it comes into the cultural zygast in a very transitional moment where we're, where as a society, we're very much transitioning and changing the way we even take in content and take in material and um, how our attention span like adjusts to that and how that works. Because So the other thing that Vampire Diaries did is um, they kept the show fresh with really great music. Um, some of it mainstream, a lot of it like um, indie or lesser known artists. And this is from season one through season eight. They never missed a beat, you guys. Um, If you want to know more about the type of music that was on the show, um, there is a private Spotify playlist that I have compiled with like the best of the best of the music on that show for our patrons. But this is a show that really took advantage. They had some great artists on the show, you guys, like like. Like hits misses, like the music is an uh, absolute hit. I don't know who was curating the music for the show at the time, but thank you. I appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Season six, the main plot through season six is uh, Liv. I mean, if you had to pick a main, I guess, is sort of Liv and Kai, Liv and Luke and Kai and, oh my God, what's her name? Joe. Joe. Kai and Joe in like the sort of Gemini coven that will drive the the rest of the season. Um, the plot being that 
once Bonnie and Damon get free of the prison world, Kai is then let out with them. And Mm -hmm. he then goes on to like terrorize Mystic, Mystic Falls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While Elena's grieving and um, Damon and won't really let Jeremy grieve Bonnie, who he's grieving for the second time, by the way. Yeah, the second time. Um, and, you know, erasing her memories and shit. Season six is also sort of like Elena's final season. This is the season that um, Nina Dobrev, like, quit the show. Uh, her contract is up and she decided to leave. So this is also the last season we'll have of, like, Elena Gilbert. And... Uh, it's fine. Season six is is fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's. Fine. I mean, it's not fine. I think we we both are coming down as like it's it's bad. <laughs> like in terms of like good basic and bad, we're like, oh no, it's bad. Yeah, I don't even bother asking Alex anymore because they're all bad and basic. They're, at this they're point. all bad. But I guess if I had to pick a memorable, some memorable moments from season six, I. Obviously, a lot Joe dying horribly is like mm-hmm. wild, and then Sheriff Forbes. Oh, she gets killed while pregnant on her wedding day. You guys, banana nuts. 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 Um, I know. Once again, uh, for Jenga woman, but it's fine. Um, I think that's memorable. Another memorable moment is, I guess, Elena's goodbye. Uh, suppose I. I think most of them are cheesy. Most of them are really cheesy, but the one that I think is actually done well is like when Elena's saying goodbye to Bonnie because it's it is this callback all the way to season one, so it feels very significant. So that yeah, feels it feels more sincere. I think sincere. Yeah, it feels more sincere and significant than the rest of the goodbyes, which feel really dumb. But um, uh. And so there was a lot going on on season six, you guys. Yeah. Um, one of the more significant things about season six that we 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 have to discuss because it this character kind of rolls over into season seven as well is that Damon and Stefan's mom, who's a vampire. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck where have you been but she was in a she was in her own prison world you guys thought she died of consumption and it turns out it's not yeah they, they thought she died of consumption but their father was an asshole and then she left and they she later became a vampire and got trapped in a prison world right right so she didn't go anywhere near her children because she's a ripper and she didn't want to like devour her children and kill them so she stayed away from them which is like a good parent thing to do like high key but she's collected other children over the years other vampire strays that she's taken in enzo was supposed to be one of these strays but like shit went south and apparently he's still mad about it because in the five minutes that they knew each other he fell in love with her i would say he's mad because like she's trying to treat him like a stray when he wants to be like you know pipe her down like it's the one person who like actually tried to like live his best life in season seven was of course my boy or season six is my boy tyler so mystic falls has an anti-magic spell right so old boy tyler just realizes i just need to stay in mystic falls and i won't be a werewolf anymore and that's exactly what happened he does (laughs) And and then he hooks up with not caroline like a moodier version of caroline live is she a moodier version of caroline she is a moodier version of Caroline. i don't know i i didn't i honestly didn't see the resemblance because i felt like they were caroline was a person in his life at like the worst moments and then like live was a person he gravitated to in his best moments he was like i'm finally free no i think caroline and tyler had like a like a wonderful arc like 
in his worst, but also at his best. Tyler was at his best with Caroline. Really? Like he he just became a werewolf. And then he became a sire to Klaus and he became a hybrid. Then like the death of his mom um, or the murder of his mom. And like, like his life was basically just finding normalcy again. So he took a page out of Jeremy's book and he's like, I'm human again. Let me just start dating a witch and leave these vampires alone. (laughs) Uh, That's real. No, I just, she's annoying. I don't know. She's annoying. I don't like her. She is annoying. I will give you that. She is annoying, but I feel like she's annoying in a different way than Caroline is annoying. (laughs) Like she's like, she's just really annoying and everything she says is really annoying and everything she does is super annoying. And it just feels like maybe she's like a moodier version of elena maybe that's what it is yeah she is a moodier version of elena um but we did get like a token gay character via her brother luke bitch did we (laughs) we did luke was gay like he never actually hooked up like they never even gave gave him a hookup or a boyfriend but they made it very clear through what he was saying that he was interested in guys See, that's what, like, you guys, when I tell you that this season, there's so much that's happening, because I totally missed that, and I've rewatched, like, that season twice now, because I had to rewatch it twice, because I was like, I don't understand what's happening in this show anymore. And it's like, you know, like Alex says, at least they're consistent. They cheat their token gay character with the same amount of, like, as they cheat their token black characters. It's fine. Speaking of token black characters, we had this girl named Sarah Nelson who was pretending she was Sarah Salvatore, a descendant of, or a relative of Damon and Stephens, who becomes yet another disposable black person that is killed. They find the real Sarah Salvatore, and then she is also killed. And then the most hurtful disposable um, black person is a black man dying of cancer that Caroline feeds her blood because she's convinced that vampire blood will save her mother and cure her mother, but not so convinced as to test the theory. So she goes to find this homeless black man to test on, just to be sure. And then he dies a horrifically painful death. The two Sarah Salvatores, Nathan... And then who did you? And then Nathan so, died season five. Oh, Nathan died season five. See, yeah. but yeah, there's there's like black people getting killed off every season. Don't keep track. There's no point in keeping track. If you take a shot every time a black person dies on this show, drunk. you will have pop poisoning. <laughs> drunk, <laughs> like, and for a show that doesn't have like black like significant black characters outside of Bonnie and the ghost of her grandmother, that's saying a lot. That's a lot. Lily being reunited with her quote-unquote family, her vampire heretic family, who are witches and vampires. Um, So yes, that is the show just retconning on their own mythology. Good for them. And uh, The one one standout on season six, I would say, is that at um, the massacre that is Alaric and Joe's wedding, when Kai's about to kill Bonnie, and basically tells Damon straight up what his options are. You can save Bonnie or you can be with Elena. You can't have both. Both, and yeah. Damon chooses Bonnie. And like we can see, like finally, his character is shedding that layer of selfishness. Because all the good things he's done prior to this had a layer of selfishness to them. Because it's what Elena wanted. Mm-hmm. Or um, because it's what would get him closer to his goal of being with Elena. In this, um, in doing this, 
Um, well, and actually all of season seven, because when he left the prison world, Bonnie was left behind and he actually tried to get her back. Um, she had to get herself out in the end because, you know, Bonnie, but he actually tried <laughs> to get her back. But in choosing Bonnie, he makes it very clear that where he stands in their their friendship and we see Damon actually grow and choose the thing that's going to hurt him the most. Right. So, and in the way that they, they do it, it's like Elena is not dead, but she's like asleep and like she'll only wake up once Bonnie is has lived her life and is dead. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, Bonnie will never see Elena again. Yeah, and even has to wait until Bonnie like dies of old age to see Elena again. Again, yeah. Season seven picks up with everybody sort of in a well. Damon and Alaric and Bonnie are like drinking across Europe again. Lily and her crazy vampire people are just hanging out in mystic falls with one. by the way there's a there's a member of lily's family who's who's a black man who literally doesn't speak you guys he doesn't like he doesn't speak he never talks can we talk about it oh my god <laughs> oh my god like i was just like this sh- fucking like, show I'm it's not, like listen i'm not mad at a mute character like yay for representation because there are mute people in the world my issue is that we're literally silencing the only black man you have on the show right now. So, like, you have been killing off black people for seven for seven seasons, and now you have one of the main cast, and you're like, he will never talk. That's right. It's uh, like the writers were like, uh, you know, we should give him more lines, and they're like, but what if he didn't have any lines? What if he couldn't talk, you guys? <laughs> it's been just like. I believe that, like deep within myself. I, I believe it in my soul, you I guys. I believe it in my, my so soul. Season, season seven, season, it's still, there's still a lot going on. We'll never be able to like adequately recap all of it because it's just yeah. so much. But I will say that there is a shift. Once Elena leaves in season seven and then subsequently season eight, which will be the last season of um, the show definitely feels more focused and it definitely feels as if they're trying to, the writers of the show are trying to like address, I think, address and acknowledge past problems mm-hmm. um, with previous seasons and characterizations and things that they've done. And well, I don't think that they were successful. I do think it got marginally better and I will commend them. I will commend them for that. Right. And the thing is, there was so much fuckery in seasons one through six. You cannot undo that. You cannot. You cannot. They were literally on two seasons left, season seven and eight. You cannot undo the shit that you just put into the show in one or two seasons. Like, it would have been an an impossibility. But I do agree with Alex that the narrative was more structured. And we actually, like, started to develop other characters more. We got more into Alaric's personal life. We gave Enzo backstory. (laughs) <laughs> we gave Lillian backstory. We gave Stefan a storyline that didn't have to do with Elena or Catherine. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, honestly, I know it was probably like, hit, you know, shit hit the fan when Nina Dobrev said she was leaving the show and they were probably scurrying in that writer's room. But I think she forced them to actually try. Right. And I think the I think her leaving for, forced the show to really be like, OK, like, whoa what is this about? Like, really, like, what is this show really, really about? And they, I think they came up with an answer. That was a Mm -hmm. good one. It's about, 
you know, family. It's about friendship. Um, friendship. Um, and and this is the first time where like Bonnie and Damon's friendship isn't marred with Elena needing something, so they can actually like be real friends. Friends, exactly. And I feel, <laughs> and funny enough, I feel like Bonnie gets a person. Bon- Bonnie approaches getting a personality this season. Yes, like, I thought that was in my head, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> like she does like I feel like the writers are like oh Elena's gone we have two okay because like you know they know who Caroline is right they know they know exactly who Caroline is but they don't really know who Bonnie is and she's now and you know now that Elena's gone she is now like their principal like female character so they have to know they have to know who who is she in relation to to Caroline? And they they do. They start to sketch something out. They start to figure something out. So as always, we have like a host of antagonists, Julian and the heretics, and then Julian and Reina Cruz, who's a vampire hunter. <laughs> then like an official supernaturally ordained vampire hunter. And not the vampire hunters from like two seasons ago, you guys. Like she's, you know, it's a different type of vampire. Hunter. It's a calling for her. Or, or um, something. It's a calling. It's an obligation. It's a curse, however you want to view it. And then our like last set of antagonists are Ambrose, Reina, Bonnie, and the Armory Monster. There's a monster, you guys. Um there's a lot of stuff going on. Recap, um, the Gemini Coven make cast a spell to save um Joe's babies as they were dying because her babies are now literally the only surviving members of the Gemini Coven. And so they put them in a place where they would be safest. Caroline's body. Can you say plot hole? Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> Y'all really made a pregnant vampire. Someone whose body, by definition, cannot change. Um, and someone who's no longer, um, ca- who cannot have children because pregnant vampires are not a thing. Um, right. And, and I mean, obviously they do it first. to accommodate, they do it to accommodate Candace Ackle, who I think was actually pregnant at the time. Uh, but still, it, it's... It was a lot. It's a, it lot. a lot. And honestly, like, I, and, and what happened in season six too, something significant happened um, via Tyler. So Tyler was human again because he'd gone through the Mystic Falls anti-magic barrier. But as he and Liv lay dying at the massacre of Joe's wedding, she tells him, like, listen, I'm dying, finish me off, because if you become a werewolf, then you'll survive this. And so he has to kill this girl that he loves to save his own life, and and then basically go through being a werewolf all over again. We could have addressed this some more, because, like, how much shit is Tyler supposed to go through, you guys? Listen, when I tell you I forgot, that even happened. I feel so bad. One thing, okay, you know, there was just so much. I don't even blame you. There was so much, so much. Okay, so one thing that I will say, um, also, I'm so proud of myself. I'm finding all these nice things to say. Okay, one thing I'll say about season seven is the way that the show actually, and like I said, shout out to these this season seven, season eight back half because um the show does reinvigorate itself narratively uh in how it picks up in season seven episode one so it's shown that like um the show sort of jumps to uh the show sort of pulls a how to get away with murder and what they and what it starts doing is that it starts jumping 
um, from time frame to time frame. So in the first, ep- so each episode, sort of the cold open is sort of, it starts with a title that says three years from now. And it's this like crazy cold open of like each of our characters, whether that's Stefan or Caroline or Bonnie, something kind of nuts happening to each of our principal characters. So I think in that first episode, it jumps to Stefan being in New York, getting opening a storage center and we see like a desiccated Damon. And then it, in the next episode, that cold open is Caroline working at the new center and then getting a stake through her gut. And they start, and then, so the show starts time jumping. And what that does is that it reinvigorates the series because now like we're, as an audience, we're excited again to really see like, well, what's going to happen. And it's just something that the show does uh, in this back half that I think is really smart. Right. Um, I agree with that. And I noticed that as well. Like immediately, I f- it almost felt like we were watching a different show with the same show, characters yeah. because of the way that it was being filmed now with the time jumps um, and, you know, um, that cold open and time jumps and shifting. And all, part partly this was done because, you know, they didn't want babies on the show. So we're showing like Caroline's children as a little bit older. Um, excuse me, not Caroline's children, Alaric's children. So in season seven, she starts off pregnant with Alaric and Joe's baby, and she finds this out via Valerie Tool. Valerie Tool is a heretic, and she um, looks at the, the the video footage, and she realizes that the spell that the Gemini Coven is performing is a protection spell for the twins, and that the, Caroline is experiencing a supernatural pregnancy. Valerie Tool was also Stefan's first love, you guys. Oh, yeah, there's a really dumb plot line. That was such a bad plot line. It's a dumb plot line. I don't even want to acknowledge it. Because remember what they said about compulsion, too? If you're compelled by a vampire to do something, when if you become a vampire, all the compulsion is released and you get all your memories back, right? Right. The show just like. There's just, who knows? Who knows? Hooked up when he was human. Then she left with his mother and the other heretics. And then he becomes vampire a couple years later after meeting Catherine. And he has, he still has no memory of Valerie. Like, pause. She's not an original. So it's not a forever compulsion. He should have remembered her when he became a vampire. But they, they bring in the storyline because, again, the show will not allow people to be single for more than five minutes. And she becomes the love interest when Caroline's pregnancy drives a wedge between them. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Caroline pregnant plot is stupid. And one, it's, I mean, it's not, it's stupid, but it's more than it's stupid. It's troubling for a lot of reasons. And we've talked about this a a bit. It's weird that they, one, make her pregnant. And like we said, like we said, we know that it's to accommodate Candace Akala. But it's weird that they write it in such a way that she's pregnant, that one, she doesn't get a choice to be pregnant. These sort of Gemini coven, like people just sort of like force these kids into her body. And then suddenly now she has to essentially be this unwitting surrogate for Alaric. And then that's weird one. And then it's weird too, that it's something that ends up driving a wedge between her and Stefan because, you know, then she sort of acts like 
they're they're her children. They're not her children. Like she has no biological right. ties to these kids. Like, You're literally a surrogate. Honey. She's a surrogate. Like and so it's weird that when she then pops out these kids, there's she takes on this expectation of like this mother figure to them, but like no. And it's weird that the show insists on her character doing that because if anything, and this is what we talk about, where there's no continuity with these characters. There's no, if anything, way back when Caroline initially becomes a vampire and when Klaus had a more, had a bigger presence on the show, Klaus talks about the fact, Klaus and Caroline talk about the fact that like Caroline being a vampire is the greatest thing that's ever happened to her and that, you know, before her destiny was to always sort of be this small town girl in this place doing the same thing over and over again. And now the world is sort of like open to her and she wants to see the world. So it's weird that now you, so it's weird now that like in season seven, you have Caroline, she's birthed these kids. It wouldn't it, wouldn't the expectation or like the thing that would actually track would be for her character to then birth these kids. And then now that she's with Stefan be like, okay, deuces, like I'm off. Like for me, like that makes sense. She would be like, well, I've had these kids. Here you go, Alaric, have fun with your children. You go and raise them, be competent, be a competent single father. Like I'm out. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. Um, but I also feel like there is like a wiggle room where it, like where her reactions at least might make a little bit more sense. So when she and Klaus had that talk, her mom was not dead. And I think this is significant because she, Caroline was really close to her mom and she doesn't really have much of a relationship with her father and she's an only child. Um, so I think the feeling of, you know, family or at least cosplaying family would be appealing to her in her grief because she, she, her mom had only been dead a couple of months before she's pregnant with these babies. She actually even ends up naming one of the children after her mom. Okay. And so like one of the kids is named Joe after their mother and one of them is named Liz after her mom, Elizabeth. So um, you have Josie and Liz and I agree with Alex completely that the way they did this where like her consent and her permission wasn't asked for and she was just pushed into being a pregnancy was pushed into being pregnant with some fuck shit. And I'm pretty sure like vampires can't abort <laughs> the way people can. Um, so she didn't even have the option of being like, I don't want to do this. And it was just the thing is my the bigger problem I have is not the way that Gemini Coven violated her, because obviously this was a very sick coven where twins kill each other all the time. It was the fact that her character and everyone around her just assumed that she would carry this pregnancy to term. Right. And she, and then she's not allowed to be upset about it or she's not allowed to mm-hmm. be annoyed that like her life is off track or that now there's a situation right. with her body that's like interfering in a relationship that she cares about. I think that's right. what I have the most issues with is that right. it would be nice to have a narrative like in popular culture where like a woman gets pregnant and she's not like, like she's not like this is the most amazing thing that's happened for her to be upset because I think that's valid. And and the reason why I really do agree, like he's allowed to be upset and that, I don't know, the characterization of Caroline is, is annoying is because once again, she has no biological ties to these children. She is just a surrogate. 
It's not I, like it's not like it's a Jane the Virgin situation where like um it's it's Jane like Mateo is Jane's son, like she's that's her biological son as well as Raphael. It's it's that like no like she's just a surrogate. Like she's not right. nothing is tying her to these kids. And this is important too. Like I understand actually um, you know, Caroline becoming attached to these kids. I understand that. But what I don't like is that the show makes it seem as if her raising them is some sort of duty when it's not as a way to avoid making Alaric a single father. Yes. It's not her duty. They ain't her kids. We cannot stress this enough, you guys. Those are not her kids. (laughs) Those are not her children. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, like Caroline's, honestly, a lot of Caroline's reactions make sense. But I really feel like they should have nipped it. Like, it should have only gone as far as her naming those children and coming to visit them every so often. Living with those children on a lark and playing, you know, let's be a family um like i felt that that was really like a way to avoid a single a single parent plot line and i feel like it was disrespectful to the joe character honestly it is it is isn't it because it makes it seem like she's so replaceable like i'm your mom i gave birth to you but like joe conceived them in her body her body yeah <laughs> <laughs> like are you serious right now right yeah you're right it is it's disrespectful to the joe character because then it's like you know i birthed you but like you have none of my genetic material that's actually from like another woman you know that woman it's not as if it was joe's choice not to give birth to them she was like horribly butchered you guys butchered (laughs) like so that's what happened and like she, the kids are just lucky that you know Kai didn't stab her in the belly, you know. Um, but that's the situation, and, uh, and and Caroline gets basically finangled into being a surrogate, and then the storyline ropes her into being these kids' mom and by association a love interest to a lark, which was so incredibly forced and uncomfortable. And it's like, even if she wanted to raise those kids, why do her and Alark need to be together? Together. That was another thing, because the the show telegraphs and makes it clear that, you know, she's still in love with Stefan. And the only reason why she's with, the only reason why she's even still in Mystic Falls is because Stefan sort of left. So why, so yeah, why why are they even together? Like, why is that necessary? It's so awkward. Oh gosh, it's horrible. It was not even like a hint of romance around Alaric and Caroline prior to this. And the fact that she's like in college now doesn't make it okay. He was her his high school history teacher, you guys. (sighs) When that short scene where like Caroline and Alaric kiss is like the worst thing ever in the history of things. It is, it is, it is. Like it is it's so bad you guys and um so yeah it's it's just really bad and really forced all around and i'm just gonna say this because i need to get this shit off my chest if katarina graham who plays bonnie had been the one to get pregnant they wouldn't have worked with her pregnancy in the script they would have just killed bonnie off for good and we know this so then i guess another highlight from season seven is like bonnie i guess falls in love again good for her yeah bonnie and enzo hook up up um and not not just hook up like they form like a full-fledged relationship and again enzo was on his bullshit when he first got free of the augustine society because you know he had been tortured for decades but he shaped up and started flying right real quick and to his credit he does right by bonnie 
whom when she comes back to life or back to this world the second time after coming back from the prison world comes home to find Jeremy gone. Uh, right. So Jeremy, Jeremy just got tired of grieving. Like he, so he was with this Sarah Nelson slash Sarah Salvatore girl all summer and uh, like, you know, basically drowning his sorrows. And then he was just like, I need to leave Mystic Falls and figure out what what the fuck I'm doing with my life, basically. And Stefan was kind of on a similar trajectory. Um, Stefan had wanted to leave Mystic Falls as well when he thought that Damon was dead. They were both like, nothing's keeping me here. Why am I here? Like, Bonnie doesn't want to tell him right away that she's back. But then I remember a scene where she does like leave him a voice message and lets him know that she's she's alive. And then the show just never, that's it. Yeah, they so- never follow up. So Enzo comes into the picture and he really does right by Bonnie, you guys. Like Enzo treats like like Bonnie's pretty good when it comes to relationship. Both Jeremy and Enzo, I think, were good, non-dramatic, like really loving partners for her. So the show gave her that much at least. Um, but then of course, because the show doesn't want to let Bonnie be happy, <laughs> shit pops off throughout the season. Their um, relationship is constantly tested via their ties to Lily, Damon, and Stefan. And um, by the end of that season, both Damon and Enzo, who go to save Bonnie, um, linger a little bit too long and become ensnared by the armory monster, who ends up being a siren. Shout out to Cat Graham and that actor who plays Enzo. I think they 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 really do sell the relationship, but the it chemistry is chemistry was on, girl. It, was, it on. was. It's good, but it's even though it's written, I think terribly. <laughs> Like, and I feel like it's not, I feel like as a viewer, it wasn't built up properly. And the only reason I think it works is because I said Kat Graham and like that actor, they they both really sell it. Yeah. So Enzo or Lorenzo St. John is played by Michael Malarkey. And I think he's a good character. And, but the chemistry was sizzling. It was even better than the chemistry that Kat Graham had had with Stephen McQueen, who played Jeremy. Like, it was obviously the, her the first adult relationship, and it was popping, you guys. It was really good. <laughs> it was um, really good. I just, Enzo has a vibe. Like, he does have he a does. vibe. He has, he has that, like, panty dropper vibe for real. He does. Like, he does. And when he like when he started getting his life together and started combing his hair and like put wearing like, he's he was looking very GQ in these in these in, uh, latter seasons in these but. latter seasons even like so before before Bonnie and Enzo become a thing when I think he's still trying to like convince Lily there's like a scene and he's playing he's playing guitar and he's like who am I to you and she's like oh you know you're like you're like part of the fam and he's like. And he's like, well, I don't want to be your family. Like, I want to be your man. Like, he he has it. I was like, damn. He, yeah, I would have been like, fuck Julian. Like, for real. <laughs> he gets like really close to her. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's that. That's that juice. Like, <laughs> he has it. He, he has, has it. it. I would. I would definitely say hands down that Michael Malarkey is the sexiest like uh, plays the sexiest character on that show like i know damon's supposed to be sexy but a lot of he's not. times he's very aggy um Stefan is. is not sexy to me jeremy would have is sexy and you know tyler and matt are just like tyler and matt they were just kind of like bros really Bro, like i didn't really now. see them in that light klaus was again supposed to be portrayed as sexy he's very aggy very irritating and honestly that very mild-mannered way that elijah has about him is actually much sexier to me it's a very specific quality it's a and i feel like people have talked about this about like leading men and like what makes something sexy and like 
how to do it properly, like on screen. You can be good looking and not have any of it. One of the things that makes Elijah a great character, even when he's portraying an antagonist, is that he can be so... Everything he says resonates, even though he literally never raises his voice. And it takes a a certain kind of charisma to always pull people's attention, no matter like how calm you are. Um, Like he's one of those people that walk into a room and you pay attention. Like Klaus, Klaus yells and Klaus throws tantrums and he's a child, but Elijah is a man. And that's what makes him sexy. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll take Um, that. But yeah, like Alex said, like Bonnie and Enzo were it. We should have got one good sex scene out of that. I'm real pissed. The the one the one that happens is a bad one. And I'm and that's what I'm saying. Like I shout out she to those actors. Because she gets she gets one with Enzo and it's bad. It's like it's poorly lit. Like the lighting is like stark and it's brief. And it's- it's- it's super brief. It's not like hot, like in any sense, like it's even kind of awkward because like she's playing guitar and like, they're looking at each other over this guitar and then they have to move the guitar out of the way. And it like, it kind of disrupts the flow of it. I'm just saying the person who directed the episode could have done a better job. Cat Graham is very great. And she's somebody that I think very clearly is like very comfortable, like with her body and is in touch with her body in a way that's uh that I think it took Nina Dobrev some like time to find because mm-hmm. I think some of the like initial stuff is also with Nina's awkward but Kat sort of like takes to it um in in a way that that's very confident it's just it's done poorly it should have been the scene where like he does the whole new year's eve thing for her yeah like the lights and it's because that's very beautiful but instead it's like this weird ugly stark lighting like and the, there's i think all the colors drained from the frame and it's like ugh, and it's so annoying it's like so i just i just I'm annoyed that, like, why is it that people always want to experiment with Black people? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like there's a tried and true way to, like, do sex scenes. And through the course of the Vampire Diaries, like, they've always done it, like, a very... They always do it the sort of specific Hollywood way where, like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's fire going, there's, like, amber sort of, like, lighting to, like, mimic candlelight. Um, Like, it's very, like, the the frame is, like, very soft. Um, And they do it for everybody. Caroline and Stefan get this treatment. Damon and Elena get this treatment more than once. But, like, poor Bonnie cannot, like... Then, but then with Bonnie, it's like somebody wanted to do like some weird experimental shit. Like they're like, what if the frame was like mm, gray and like muted, and um, we shot it like, and then they do this weird like two shot in profile with like a right. guitar between them that doesn't make any sense. It's and almost then, like they're afraid to let her have like a like just get fucked right. <laughs> right. I'm just like, my I'm so upset. Like I'm so upset with the direction. I'm just like, my God, like I can tell it just it really does. It feels like somebody was like, what if we just like, no, it's gonna be like this and like pr- like somebody was like, okay, so we're gonna do it the regular way. And then somebody was like, no, what if we just like experimented? I'm like, why? 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 
you know what works. Why? Get this girl some good lingerie like, and get that lighting together. Get that lighting the fuck together. And like, get those. <laughs> well done. And like, get these. Sh- and like, please just do like the quick, soft cuts. And then, no, it's like, nope, not going to do any of that. Why? That would that would just make too much sense. I just hate right, it. Right, right, right. So main point of season seven, the TVD writers just kept throwing new villains and new victims and new situations at us to distract from how poorly written and problematic these characters are. And right. it guys it works um the highlight of season seven i would probably say is matt is really sick of this vampire shit he ain't trying to be a human happy meal no more and um he takes to the police academy um and like he's the only person that survives you guys and survives. and i would also say the other highlight i think of season seven is like for once like the big at the end is like it's like a race to save Bonnie's life. So Bonnie sort of gets to be the one that people give a shit about for once. And Yeah, I like I don't want her to be the damsel in distress, but if this is what it takes to be taken seriously on this like, show on this show then <laughs> And when they save her life, it's not with some sort of caveat to her. Like like she doesn't have to like suffer further. You understand? So like bon- Damon and Enzo become ensnared by the armory monster, but Bonnie is able to survive unscathed and that's good season eight you guys final season you guys final season so there was a lot going on again as always there were a lot of antagonists so let's go through our list of antagonists first there was sybil um um her sister celine Cade, the devil and damon these are our first antagonists of the season then damon stefan sybil celine and Cade. And then Kai Parker, who shows up again, and Cade. And then Catherine and then Vicky and Kelly Donovan. Yes, Matt's family makes a re- reappearance. Who? When I know I use the word clusterfuck a lot when I talk about this show, but you guys, it is so apropos. Like, there's a lot. <laughs> you guys, it's so, it's so, like, it's so appropriate. Like, it, I don't even know. Okay. So I want to jump into something real quick that's been bugging me. And I talked about to Alex about this, but you guys, this is some fuck shit. First of all, we know that Vicky Donovan died um, in large part due to Damon turning her into a vampire. And Kelly Donovan, Matt's mom, left town. He didn't even know his mom was dead, you guys. We didn't know that Kelly had died, and we don't know really how. But they show up in season eight working for the devil um, and because they were in hell. But what did Vicky and Kelly do to end up in the same hell as Catherine? Make it make sense. Right, that's real. <laughs> like, all Vicky did was take some pills and catch some dick. She literally never did anything to hurt anyone until she became a vampire. And she was literally, like, like a baby vampire less than 48 hours old who didn't have any control of her emotions. Exactly. So you know how we talked about, like, in Buffy, like, Buffy season seven was, like, just super forgettable? I feel that way about tbd season eight like it's super forgettable like don't ask me anything that happened i don't know (laughs) oh i have like i have like a i have like a working i have like a vague knowledge even now after watching season eight twice i'm still just like i don't really i can't tell you what happened i'm not sure myself yeah like that's (laughs) 
<laughs> so so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just jog Alex's memory on some key points, and then we're oh gonna gosh. talk about it because I, I get it, girl. Like, I, I really get it. Like, it's, but it like, I do feel accomplished because I feel like I got to the end of like a marathon. Like, <laughs> I'm exhausted. But it was like a sprinting marathon. Like, you were jumping hurdles during the marathon. That's what right. Exactly. <laughs> like you were like doing wind sprints and passing the batons in the course of the marathon. You could never tap out. Like it was a lot, you guys. Um a lot. so Bonnie Bonnie is trying to fight to save Enzo and Damon because they are now under a siren spell. This siren, instead of getting her own delectables, is using Enzo and Damon um as basically uh her version of Uber Eats. They bring her food to her. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's happening. Tyler is killed three episodes in. And he actually says something that I thought was hilarious. Like, I know it's not hilarious, but I laughed, you guys. Like, he comes to try to get Damon out of the siren spell and he thinks his presence will make a difference and damon's like why do you think i'm gonna listen to you and tyler's like because if you kill me the others will never forgive you and i'm like tyler do you even know what show you're on people forgive each other for horrendous shit like every so then he gets it's very quickly killed off by damon which i felt like again tyler had a great character arc but his character was so misused and mishandled by the writers and I didn't like that. Alaric and Caroline finally break up after playing house for a few years when she realizes, like, this is bullshit. These aren't my kids. And I'm still in love with Stefan. So she basically is doing what Stefan asked her to do, like, four years later. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Like, to have the kids and just dip. Um, Stefan and Damon are trying to keep Elena's casket safe because they, they put her in a casket, even though she's not dead for safekeeping, I guess. And Caroline and Stefan become engaged and use their wedding as a lure for Cade, the devil, who is played by a disarmingly attractive black man. I mean, he is so fine. Like, he looks so good. <laughs> so good, you guys. And his skin looks real buttery. Like, he exfoliates and moisturizes regularly. I appreciate that so much. Matt, though, it, the character that they have, again, like Tyler, well, worse than Tyler, because they didn't even develop his family life the way they developed Tyler's family life. They finally decide, you know what? We should probably do something with this kid. And so he became like this throwaway supporting character. And in this season, eight years of this shit, they decide to give his family some real meat and complexity and backstory. And we find out that his family worked with the witches in Mystic Falls and created this bell that's basically like... It only took eight seasons, you guys. It only took eight seasons to make him worthy. Damon and Stefan basically contract themselves to Cade to find him new souls. Because once Enzo's free, like, Stefan decides to do this with Damon so so that Bonnie can keep the person that she loves. But she doesn't get to keep him very long. Enzo does die in this season and his death rocks Bonnie's world so hard that she, she has basically a psychic break. Yeah, she and she creates another dimension like like Cade cuz we find out Cade isn't necessarily the devil. He just sort of in his death when he was basically lynched. Um when we find out Cade's backstory. Um Right. And then uh, I, and then after I learned the backstory, you're like you're not even mad at him. Cade is essentially like is murdered at the at the moment of his death. He he because he was a witch. He creates like another plane of existence, and he then makes that existence uh, quote unquote hell. So Stefan 
murders Enzo quite horribly, just as Bonnie and Enzo have sort of talked to each other. And Enzo's like, I'm going to like take the cure for you. And I want to be with you and grow old with you. Cause he essentially, Enzo essentially asks Bonnie to like promise him that one day, you know, she'll turn and be a vampire for him. And she's like, mm, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, then, right, because she would have to sacrifice being a witch, which and herself and, I guess, well, Bonnie is like, at least comes, I guess, comes to herself because she says, you know, I saw, I've seen how Caroline and Stefan like kill people and I don't want to do that. I don't really ever want to be that. And Mm -hmm. and Enzo's like, okay, well, I'll be human. So then they make a plan and they go and Elena has like the cure in her body and that's the point. So they go to where Elena is and right when Bonnie's extracting the cure from Elena's body, she comes to the doorway and Enzo's standing there and then he just drops forward and then Stefan is standing there with Enzo's heart in his hand. And in that pain, in that moment, Bonnie creates her own psychic little universe, own plane mm-hmm. of existence. Now, it's no secret that Alex, uh, Alex and I are not friends of, like, are fans of Stefan. But this right here was some fuck shit, you guys. It's some fuck shit. It's, it's, and shout out, I guess, shout out to the writers for me, because it is significant when it happens and it feels momentous. Um, mm-hmm. In a show where nothing feels momentous, nothing, <laughs> everything feels like it's just happening. This moment really does feel like, oh shit. Um, and so, shout out to the, that writer of the episode because, yeah, I think they spend the whole day like just really being in love, and then yeah, it happens. Mm-hmm. And and that's what hurts me. And again, like the thing is when 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 whenever. Stefan does some fuck shit we're always like supposed to feel bad for him because he there was no other option for him he had no other choice but even Damon doesn't use this this excuse like when he does fuck shit he'll be like yeah it's because I wanted to um I feel like if it was any other character Stefan would have found a way around it and he would have found a loophole well Stefan does it like when he's under the he he's turned his humanity off and this is what we're talking about like uh, but even when his humanity was off he like he or when when he was like a a really good one was when he was under klaus's control um he still like fought the compulsion with every fiber of his being to not kill elena you understand what i'm saying right but like and this is but the fact that he because he's working for Cade, his humanity is off he kills enzo and i think it's a demonstration of like what you and i were saying is that like stefan is like to his core like not shit like that and i think it's a demonstration of it um when he kills enzo because he knows that enzo is important to bonnie and he just does it for the sake of doing it because he's essentially wallowing in his sort of like upsetness that he'll eventually go to hell and not be with Caroline. That's why he does it really. It's because he's just, he's because he's wallowing. And I get that this season was really, really hard um, to watch in regards to Bonnie and in regards to how they're really trying to make it seem like Vicky and Kelly, um, you know, deserved to be in hell or whatever the fuck. I don't know who, masterminded this episode and i don't know why you did what you did but you're a piece of shit (laughs) 
it's just it's it's just like it feels so relentless like and it never ends and there's never people all the wrong people get punished right um, and so didn't deserve to go out like that period Stefan and uh, and Stefan and Caroline do get married this season after Stefan becomes very much human and Stefan finally sacrifices himself for everyone else's good and low-key I wasn't sad to see him go not after Enzo <laughs> right like, okay and then Bye. in all of that you know he sacrifices himself and then he goes to heaven which like what right you did like one good thing in like all these years that was selfless and not about anyone else after years of like like literally decades of being a ripper and massacring your way through towns and shit towns. but he gets to go to heaven, heaven but vicky donovan and kelly donovan are in hell that doesn't make any sense it just this show the show hates women straight up <laughs> Um, it hates women. It, it, it hates women with sexual agency, like Vicky and Kelly and Ka- Catherine. And I'm dying on that hill. I listen. Catherine going to hell makes sense to me. Like in in that, you know, Catherine just you know took her knocks on her chin. But the fact that Stefan and Damon get happy endings is bullshit. Like because well, they don't deserve them. That's exactly why I'm like I'm conflicted about Catherine. I absolutely think that she deserves to be in hell. Don't get me wrong. But Stefan and Damon belong in hell with her, is what I'm saying. Right. Like, and if it wasn't a show that hates women, it wouldn't just be punishing the more sexual, liberated, independent women characters. That's true. The women, it is, it is concerning that the women who have agency, who have the most agency and exercise it the most, who are the most active, like in the narratives and things and they make things happen rather than things just happening to them. Because as much as I like Caroline and Bonnie, um, I don't like Elena. But the thing about Caroline, Bonnie, and Elena is that things just keep happening to them. Like, none of them to, like, significant degrees ever really make super active choices to, like, drive the story forward. They're always, Bonnie in particular, Bonnie, Caroline, and Elena exist to clean up the messes of Stefan and Damon. So essentially the show decides to punish the women who did what they wanted to for themselves and did not like make themselves handmaiden handmaidens to the two central male characters. And that is concerning. Very concerning. I completely agree with Alex. Um, this season was exhausting to watch. It was a clusterfuck. Like I said, I enjoy getting some backstory on Matt, but it was too little too late. Rewatching that series finale, it just feels like I feel like I didn't watch anything. I, yeah, I, like what happened? Like exactly. This watching t- the TBD series finale is the same way I felt watching the Scandal series finale. I was just like let it let it be done. Like like the, yeah, what even um, happened? And- like the characters are so mishandled that at at the end you're so desensitized and you're so de- you're so detached from so much. See, the highlight of season eight is when Bonnie packs her bags and there's like a pamphlet and and, and it says Africa she's, and right she's, she's going some- to find some other black people. God bless her. I just want Bonnie to get some black friends, meet some real witches out in Africa, and and get away from this fuckery. Um, Matt suffers a lot also in season seven and eight. He gets a fiance. She's killed. His entire 
graduating class of the police academy is horribly murdered. Like, honestly, it's neck and neck about who the series does worse. And I think that Matt is actually the character that is treated the very worst by the writers. Right. The very worst. It's like, why is he here except to suffer? Matt is constantly suffering. <laughs> Matt's constantly suffering. Really had me feeling sorry for this white boy, and I did not appreciate that. Series finale is essentially everybody trying to, because Catherine has come back from the hell dimension, because Catherine never dies. Catherine's just sort of seeking revenge on everyone, and this sort of plot with the bell and ringing it. Catherine is trying to get them to ring it one more time so that the town of Mystic Falls can be burned to the ground. And it ends, like you said, with Stefan sort of sacrificing himself and Bonnie stopping the flames from murdering everybody in the town. And that's that's really all that happens. And then we get like a sort of that's all that happens. And then we get like an epilogue for everybody. Our, all, all of our sort of main players. So we know that Damon got to, oh, Elena wakes up and Bonnie and Elena can be awake at the same time because, you know, they right. retcon that. Elena and Damon get there happily ever after. And when yeah. they die, her heaven is her parents and his, and Damon and Stefan's heaven is each other. And, and, then, and um, that's, that's all cute and nice and whatever. <laughs> and then Caroline opens like the, the school for, for that will eventually go on to be legacies. Right. Um, now, the thing with this show, like when we reviewed Buffy, we did our part one and two review of Buffy, we were able to give you like, you know, our favorite seasons and our favorite episodes in every season. All I can say about The Vampire Diary is it's a masterclass in how not to write characters. <laughs> you want to know what to avoid? Watch this show and pay attention to the way that the characters, Matt Donovan, Bonnie Bennett, and Tyler Lockwood are treated amongst others. Now I there's mean, there's bad writing in in some of the characters that they actually like, but pay pay careful focus to these characters, fam. Exactly. I I agree with that. I think it's a masterclass in how not to write characters. I feel like it's a masterclass on how not to write women. I feel like it's a masterclass on how not to write black people. Like I feel like there's so poor much. people. And I feel like I feel like there's so much that you can because I'm a I'm a big believer in that. Like, I think you learn more probably from shows that like are are bad because you learn what not to do and you learn the things to like avoid. <laughs> um, and, you know, that if you're writing in a certain way that that you that you're doing something that's a bit shallow and to course correct. This is a masterclass and what not to do. But what made the show successful, I feel, was that they kept throwing so many plots and so many new characters at you that it was like a speeding train. You couldn't get off even if you wanted to. The music selection was A1. Like, I will give this to the show. The music selection was always on point. It was always good. They have a vast catalog of music. There are hundreds of songs featured every single season, like, they really did what they had to do. So that's how we feel about the Vampire Diaries. It was very basic and it was very bad, but was it very addictive? It was. But once you get through the, the, the eight seasons, it really feels like you just wasted the best years of your life. Right. <laughs> I I agree with that. I think what the Vampire Diaries did best um, before 
before you get to these back half seasons where there seem to be four separate acts within a season, the seasons one and two, those multiple plot lines, but having those multiple plot lines be very much interwoven and interconnected, I think is significant and, and very impressive. Um, it obviously, like we said, falls apart <laughs> later. And it, I think, also, the show is valuable of, like, examining a certain moment, like, in our culture in terms of, like, if you're like us and you're sort of, like, entertainment nerds and you're TV nerds and you're interested in um, sort of more, like, cerebral topics of the way we consume television and the the way we consume television, the way we consume a uh, narrative, the vampire diaries is very much comes in a transitional moment. And it's interesting also to look at it from that perspective. Yeah. I completely agree with everything Alex said. I definitely feel like they use like not an ideal formula, but one that would definitely get them views at in the right space at the right time. Mm-hmm. And for the, the TVD success really was a matter of perfect storm. And then they leverage the viewership and the fan base they had on that show for the spinoff, the originals, and then the le- legacies. And yeah. it was really a lot of people reading the room and striking while the iron was hot was every hot. time. Every time. Yep, definitely. Definitely, definitely. So I think those are our final thoughts. It's everything that made season five uh, through eight good, bad, and basic. If it does nothing else, TVD proves that you can blatantly ignore good writing and basic character development and still create a hit. For those who'd rather not go that route, Alex and I are both sensitivity readers. She for screenplays and treatments and I for short stories and manuscripts. If you'd like to avoid characters as wildly offensive or underdeveloped as Tyler, Elena, Damon, Stefan, Tyler, and Klaus, we got you. <laughs> Tune in next week where we'll be discussing the characters of the TVD spinoff, The Originals, and spotlighting what could have made these characters in the show better. Tune in while Em and I discuss everything wrong with every single character on this show, the systemic issues that they represent, and how they could have made better choices. Follow the good, the bad, the basic pod on Spotify to listen to this and all of our weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content and you want more, including exclusive bonus episodes, outtakes, and other customized content like our specially curated Spotify playlists, become a show producer and a patron on Patreon. As always, our regular weekly episodes, as well as all the links on where to find us, can be found on our SoundCloud page. So follow us there, as well as at the good, the bad, the basic. And of course, be sure to follow us at good, bad, basic pod on Twitter and IG. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Later.